of you are joining us for the first time. We are going through the book of Nehemiah, and the summer series for us is always a great and fun time. For the summer, every summer, we have the opportunity and the privilege to bring up members from the church to give their testimony. Part of the reason why we do that is because we want to not only get to know each other a little bit better, is to build the community, but it is also the fact that testimonies give glory to who God is. And testimonies give us kind of where rubber hits the road. And it's not just a bunch of pastors up here preaching and telling us what to do, but it's, it's an opportunity for us to hear from our fellow brothers and sisters, people that we call family, uh, to see what they've gone through, to see what God is doing in their lives and continues to do in their lives. And so we love the summer series to, to be able to give opportunity for that. And today we have Grace Dublin that's going to come up to, to give her testimony. And so uh, it is going to be a, a good one. It's going to be a great one. Uh, today the, uh, they've given me permission to speak longer, which is a great thing. No. But Nehemiah is a story in the Old Testament. It is a book in the Old Testament that talks about the rebuilding of a city. It is a place where God promised his chosen people who lost their city in disobedience to, to their covenant with God. God gave them over to the Babylonians. The Babylonians conquered them, destroyed the city walls. And we get this story where God puts his heart on this man named Nehemiah and instructs him to rebuild the city. This is a, a great analogy for us because Nehemiah is something, it's a theme that happens throughout the Old Testament starting from Adam and Eve and through Abraham and through um, through Joseph, through all of these different characters of the Bible leading all the way to Jesus, of how God constantly comes and chases after us, how God constantly comes and extends his grace and helps us rebuild. You see, the thing is, there's always a consequence to sin. There's always a consequence of sin where we are separated from God. And God, yet despite that sin, comes and rebuilds. Despite anything that happens, despite anything that comes against us or anything that we choose to do to separate ourselves from God, God always takes that first step to rebuild. God can say, you know what, you guys, you lost it. It's done. I've given you so many chances and you could continue to walk away from me. And God can say, I, I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. But yet God does this time and time again. And ultimately he sends his son, Jesus, and completely fulfills it through his son. And says, you know what? My son is going to pay the price so that no longer... Sin has a hold on us. Isn't that incredible? That's the story of Nehemiah. The story of a one, one strong nation, Israel, fallen, left in ruins, and rebuilt. 
The book of Nehemiah is split into two sections. Chapter 1 to 7 is about rebuilding the city, the physical walls of Jerusalem. And then chapters 8 to 13 is about the rededication of the community to God. It's to reestablish that spiritual family, reestablish that spiritual, uh, the, the laws and what God has put in place. So in, in chapter 8, Ezra comes in and preaches a, and starts us off with a six-hour sermon. It says so in Scripture. I'm not making this up. From dawn till noon, six-hour sermon with Levites coming around to help explain it. And so I'm going to take my cue from that and start a six-hour sermon. I started it in the morning, so you guys are already five hours in. No, I'm kidding. But what Ezra puts into place, Nehemiah expands and Nehemiah goes and says, says in Nehemiah 8.10, it says, go, and, go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing. Ready for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved for the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's where we're, what we're going to focus on today. And we get to go and eat after this. Isn't that great? Ooh, yeah. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We ask for your spirit to come. Lord, we ask that you speak your word to us. Lord, that you use Grace's testimony to be an encouragement to the body. And Father God, I just pray that today as we look through what it means to sit in both your joy as refuge and strength. Lord, I just pray that you speak um, through your word to your people as an encouragement for us to live out your kingdom. So I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I have the privilege to bring up Grace Dublin. Uh, if you were here two weeks ago, you actually heard JoJo's testimony. JoJo is Grace's husband. Uh, again, I'm going to put a little bit of a PG rating, not because of language, but because of content. Uh, and so, Grace, come on up. Thank you, John. Before I start reading my testimony to all of you, I just want to read the, the words that was speak, uh, spoken to me by the prophet uh, when we had our prophetic, um, our prophetic night. Uh, from Ben Goodman, he says, I will tell you, st- uh, during the prophetic night, he said about backpack of grief and that I am a persevering woman. And that God, and that God has turned the mourning or grief into dancing and joy, which is happening to me right now. And then from Greg Miller, he said that the things that I see as a young girl, God will break it. And that night, that night is a freedom night for me. And, and it's very true. It was a freedom night for me. Um, now I'll start reading my testimony for I'm a little bit nervous, but bear with me. Um, my name is Grace Dublin. I have been part of this church for a little more than a year. What I'm going to tell you is a story of a person who went through a lot in life, but found um, grace and mercy in Christ Jesus. Uh, it all started when I was in my early teens. Growing up, I look up to my father. I look up to him a lot because he was quiet did not scold me whenever I made mistakes. Uh, he is complete opposite of my mother. My mother is this disciplinarian in our family. In short, I like him more. 
But things changed when I entered my teenage years. Um, at 14, my father started showing interest in me. His gentleness towards me was so obvious. Uh, whenever my mom would scold me or punish me, he would get mad at my mom and defend me. Little did I know that his interest in me became an obsession. I fight to fight. I had to fight with him. <laughs> Sorry. And say all the ugliest words I could think of because it disgusted me to know that the feelings of my father were incest. So my teenage journey was somewhat instant to a point where my own family thought I was a rebellious kid. There was a time my father would offer me his paycheck in exchange of giving myself to him. It really infuriated me. So I confronted my mother about it. He defended himself and said that I was lying. When I was out with my friends, he would say that I was like one of those prostitutes in the streets. That's, that was his way of demoralizing me, so I would give in. I was confused and didn't know what to do, what to do, how to protect myself. So I resorted to smoking, drinking as my defense. I hang out a lot with my friends and will go home in the wee hours of the night. At that time, it is the only thing I could think of, of to avoid my father and not have an argument with my mother. There were nights where I would wet my bed because I was too scared to go out and use the washroom. I became emotionally disturbed at the age of 16. I began skipping my classes, and my parents didn't know about it until uh, my advisor would call them or send them a letter. Since I lost interest in school, I decided to quit halfway through the school year. I went and looked for a job to help with the financial needs in the house since I have younger siblings who are still in school. Work, work became my escape in my growing concern about my father. I did everything to, pre to prevent my father from raping me. He did not succeed in that area, but the emotional abuse is so raw and painful in my heart because of the fact that he was the very first man I trusted in my growing years. I, it went on for 10 years until I found Jesus in my life. Um, a relative of ours invited me to a Thanksgiving party, and she was an overseas uh, foreign worker. She's work she works as a nurse in Saudi Arabia. Her older sister received Christ while she was away, so when she came home, they welcomed her with a praise and worship service at their house. I kind of like I kind of like of the like the music because I grew up with music in the house. My father likes. He plays musical instrument, and my mom sings a lot. So when they invited me again to a cell group meeting, I right away accepted the invitation. It's been a long time ago now. It's been 37 years now that I can't remember the topic. But one thing I knew was that I accepted Jesus, my Lord. As, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if, if I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I would be saved. 
He is just and righteous and forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 I accepted Jesus right away and prayed the sinner's prayer. I began attending the cell group and eventually become part of the growing Pentecostal church in our community. This activity had helped me forget about my problem with my father. The Lord built me up and assured me of my safety within his loving hands. I devoted my days serving him. I would literally attend Bible study every night from Monday to Friday. Then on weekends, I would go to youth meetings and attend Sunday service in the morning and evangelistic night at nighttime. Having found a family in Christ gave me the assurance of safety. I thought my problems had been solved. One day, I invited my father to attend our evangelistic meeting. He accepted my invite and my joy, and the joy in my heart was overflowing. But to my dismay, he did not, he only did it to gain my trust in him again. He was so evil that even the word of God did not move him. He is in his 80s now, and because of his evilness, my family, especially my brothers, are distant from him. Before, none of my father's family believed me, and they thought, they accused me of being a liar and the black sheep in the family, until my father's niece came to stay with us, and he did the same things to her. She moved right away to avoid my father. Since then, they believed me, and my brothers did their best to protect me from my father. I feel bad and sorry for the treatment of my brothers to him, but I say he gets what he deserves. I kept telling myself that I forgive him, but it hurts until now. So may I ask all of you, as my family in Christ, to pray, to pray for the salvation of my father. In 1985, I went to Singapore to work as a domestic helper. Now, this was a whole new world for me. Back in the Philippines, though we have financial struggles, I never work as a help for a family. My challenge this time is to work for two families. I had no days off, and, and I had to work with this 13-year-old boy who is spastic. He cannot walk and cannot talk. I have to give him water every 20 minutes and change his cloth diapers because he urinated every 15 to 20 minutes. Sometimes I would wonder, what did I do wrong to deserve all these challenges? I began praying as hard as I could. And in Psalms, I read that in Psalms 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in our troubles. So I cling on to that word. And until one day, I saw a window of opportunity to apply here in Canada. In August 1987, I was blessed to pass the interview and was able to come here. Canada is different from where I came from, which is Singapore. The work was so much lighter, and it gave me a chance to go back to school and finish grade 12 equivalency. I had so much freedom that I backslided from the Lord. I went back to my old self, drinking, nightclubbing and smoking with an occasional taste of the weed. I want to try the Canadian <laughs> marijuana, of course. <laughs> I've done it in the Philippines. I want to know what, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> there were times I would go to church, but the call of the worldly things were so strong that I completely distanced myself from God for 10 years. One early morning, I got a call from Jojo. I was so surprised and at the same time excited because I finally got his attention. 
After 11 years, he proposed and asked me to go home. On our first date, we went to a restaurant. We ate and had a good conversation until, uh, until it was time to pay the bill. To Jojo's surprise, he did not have enough money to pay for it. <laughs> of course, <laughs> coming from Canada and being polite, I paid for the bill. What a date, huh? <laughs> After the wedding, he stayed in the Philippines for a little while because of his ailing mother. After three years of waiting, I finally got him to come and make this country his home. When he received the Lord, I also rededicated myself to the Lord and serving the Lord. I may say that through my journey in life, God did not leave me. He is a forgiving God and his love is unconditional. I am now in a better position in terms of family. My desire to have a well-balanced and more loving family is granted. He gave me a loving, kind, and not to forget a handsome husband. <laughs> I have two lovely daughters who are a living testimony of how God, our God is, how God is great to us. I still have struggles, but I do know that I have a family and God that is so much larger than my problems. Unlike my Husband's testimony, mine is the opposite. It did not take time for me to receive the Lord because I, when I heard about the good news, I was in the lowest point in my life. At a very young age, I was confused. There was a betrayal of trust within my family. The first man I've ever known had betrayed me, and it totally turned my, my world upside down. But I found someone to trust, and that is our Lord Jesus. And I want to quote Psalm 23 because it is in this book that I find, I find refuge in times of troubles. It became a prayer for me through the years. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside the still water. He restored my soul. He leadeth me in the righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, they rod and the staff, they comfort me. Thou hast prepared us a table in the presence of mine enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me in all the days of my life, for I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is tears of joy, because knowing that God is with me, I am overwhelmed. Thank you. testimony. I love Grace's testimony because it brings us through just how God comes to intersect with our lives. I love how in every single one of our lives we experience God in a way that God makes it so personal. Yes, there's, there are times where sin is inflicted on us and we have no control upon, on that. There are times where things happen not by our own doing, not by our own choices, and things come against us, and yet God sees that, and God wants to still bring restoration into that area. In chapter 8 of Nehemiah, it starts off with Ezra coming in after the, the, the temple walls have been built. Ezra gives us he, he brings in all the Levites beside him to, and he stands on this pedestal. And he starts 
and begins to read the word of the Lord. And what happens when the word of the Lord comes and intersects with the people's heart is that they started to weep. They started to weep out of repentance. They started to see what their sins were, how they have walked away from God. They started to see how far they were from Jesus, how far they were from the word, and how far away that they walked away from the covenant, that they come to a place of weeping. Now, it could be a six-hour sermon that brings people to weep, but I do believe it's the word of the Lord. That's the thing with God's word, is that God's word isn't just words that we read and words that we follow. God's word is his heart and his spirit for us. And that when we read God's word, that God's spirit comes and intersects with our heart, and it brings us to a place of repentance. And that's what happened to the Israelites. What happened was they saw their shame, they saw their sin, they saw how wretched they were, how far that they've gone, and that their city was in ruins, and this, there's this one man that's coming and rebuilding and restoring what was once promised. And that's what brings them to a place of weeping. But then in verse 9, it says this, it says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the word of the law. Of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat, drink, and send portions, and to make great rejoicings, because they had, to underst they had understood the words that were declared to them. It's hard for us to look at ourselves and look at our lives. And when we read the word of the Lord, it's hard for us to not come to that place of, what have I done? It's hard for us to look at our sin and forgive ourselves in, in, in many ways and to look at what, what has happened to us and see ourselves as unworthy of God's love. But yet, Nehemiah calls to the people and says, do not mourn or weep for the Lord your God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. What does having joy in our Lord mean? Having joy in the Lord doesn't mean that we just look at grace and look at mercy and know that we are saved. It's not just that. It's not just knowing that we have a clean slate. It's not knowing that we, not just about knowing that we are forgiven. Yes, all of that comes with it. But in joy, sometimes we have to deal also with other emotions that come with the joy. But yet, Nehemiah encourages his people saying, the joy of the Lord is strength. You see, this story and this picture is such a great picture. Grace read a scripture from Psalms 41. It says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. You see, Nehemiah was explaining just that, our refuge and strength. You see, the building of the rebuilding of the wall is about refuge. 
When cities were built back then, cities were built with walls to fortify for defense, so that when the enemy comes, there's a defense that happens. So cities are places of refuge. Cities were places where people ran to when they were being attacked. And then when it talks about the strength, the strength actually comes from the Spirit of the Lord. The strength comes from the aspect of of Nehemiah and Ezra coming and bringing and strengthening up back that spirituality that God has instilled. And so when even when David was writing that the refuge, that God is our refuge and our strength, this is almost a foreshadow, almost a thing where God actually time and time again replaced throughout the entire Bible where God is refuge and strength. And where does that strength come from? From joy. It comes from the joy of the Lord. And so where do we find this joy? What does joy mean when we look at the joy of the Lord is our strength? When we look at this story, we see that joy actually comes from the intersection of God's word. Joy comes from us experiencing God. Joy comes from a place where God comes and speaks directly into our hearts. If we look at Grace's story, Grace talks about how she was invited to the cell group and she heard the, the words that the cell groups were studying. She heard the gospel message. Here's the thing, that the entire Bible, no matter where you read, is about the gospel message. That the word of the Lord, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, is about the gospel of the good news of God coming and, and pouring his love out on us. So no matter where you read, even in the book of Numbers, where all of us actually struggle in, (laughs) the joy of the Lord is there. That we find the joy of the Lord and we find God's spirit in his word. Why? Because God says that in the beginning was the word. That God is the word. That if we want to know who God is, read the word. That if we want to know God's character, read the word. If we want to know God's grace, read his word. If we want to know his love, draw from his word. That his word is always an encouragement to us. I don't know how many of you guys actually follow YouVersion on Instagram. No, just me? It's not a pastor's thing, I promise you. (laughs) Today's word of the day was Psalms 46.1. When I opened my Instagram this morning and I saw that, I'm just like, this is Grace's verse. This is the theme that runs through today, that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And Grace gave us a testimony that testifies to this. That God was her refuge. God was her refuge when... Things are confusing. I mean, how hard is it to live in that place where safety that's supposed to come from your parents are not there? That you feel threatened, that your life is threatened every time that you're home. And that you start making choices for yourself because home is no longer a safe place. The father that she knew, the father that she trusted, was not someone that she could go to. If God the Father comes and intersects and says, he may not be someone that you could go to, 
but I am. That I am your refuge. That I am your strength. That I am there to stand with you. I am there to protect you. I am there to give you hope. I am there to establish joy into your heart. Here's the thing. God always comes to his people first. He always makes sure that that he is our refuge. He is our safe place to come back to. God wants to equip us when we go through the narrow path. We talk about how there is a narrow path to follow him, but God always equips us to go through this narrow path. Now in Nehemiah, when we see our sin, it should cause us to repent. We need to know that there is a consequence to sin and that there is a separation because of sin. However, we also have to remember that God has done the rebuilding in our lives through his son, Jesus Christ. And that it is in that that we find joy. God is rebuilding us so that we could rejoice in the reconciliation and in the rebuilding that happens in our lives. Verse 12, it says, And all the people went their way to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The only joy that reflects the worth of God and overflows in God's glorifying love is rooted in the true knowledge of who God is. And to the degree that our knowledge is small or flawed, our joy will be a poor echo of God's true excellence. What we experience, what Israel experienced in Nehemiah 8.12 is a paradigm of how God glorifying joy happens in the heart of people. That Ezra had read, read the word of God to them and the Levites had to explain it. And then the people went away to make great rejoicing. That their great rejoicing was because they had understood the words of God. That they have tasted and experience the heart of the Lord. Twice Jesus has taught to his disciples in John 15 and John 17. and says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And it says that these things I speak into the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. When we interact with the word of God, we mainly see that the word is the Lord himself. That word, the word is about God. It's God himself. It's him offering himself to be known and to be enjoyed. And the point is that our joy is going to reflect the glory of God. And when it reflects the glory of God, it must flow through the knowledge of him. If we are going to enjoy God, we must know him. Some of us, we like to sit in our sin. We like to sit in the place where we know we're hurt, where we know that we're not worthy. But the thing is, to sit in that place isn't experiencing the fullness of God. To sit in that place isn't allowing God to come and intersect in a place where we need him to give us freedom. Because you know what joy brings? It brings freedom. It brings freedom from what we know of our lives. It brings freedom into a place where we're able to step in line with who God is. And then there are others of us who stand in a place where we think that grace overcomes all. 
that almost where we understand grace too much that we take advantage of it. Where we think that grace is one of those things where it's like this free card that we're always playing. Where it's just like, oh, it doesn't matter. I could do this tonight because God already forgave that sin. That's not right either. That's taking advantage of what grace actually means. Because if we experience God in a true way, it actually needs to transform the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we relate to the world. That grace isn't a free card. That grace was freely given, and it's free for you to take. But grace isn't a thing where you just take advantage of. Because you know what? There is a consequence to sin. There is. We like to think that God is all loving, that the consequence is no longer there. But there's a consequence to it. That we can't just live life in a way where we're just freely enjoying the process of how we want to live life, where we want to make the decisions. And we just know that God's there and he's going to forgive it. God's going to just wipe, wipe everything out because Jesus already died. His blood covers all. We sing these songs. We talk about it in church. We, we proclaim it on the streets. You know how many people that live that way that that sin actually catches up? That eventually sin catches up with him. It's not that God, it's not that God doesn't allow him to step outside of the grace. It's not that. But there's a natural consequence to sin. There's a natural consequence in a way where it affects our health, it affects our relationships to other people. It isolates us. It brings us to a place where we actually don't actually understand what the grace of God actually is anymore. It, it's an aspect where I believe the enemy uses and it's part of the spiritual warfare that we experience. Because here's the thing, sin isolates. Think about that. Every time you sin, what do you do? You hide. You want to close into yourself. You don't want anybody to know. That's what it does. Do you know who fortifies that? The enemy does. Satan wants you to hide your sin. Satan wants you to go to a place where I don't want you to talk about it. Because the less you talk about it, then nobody knows. But here's the thing. God wants you to talk about it. He wants to bring sin into light. Why? Because in light, things are cleansed. Things are clear. In light, there is no hold on you. That when we are able to speak about our sin, there's nobody that's able to gossip about us. There's nobody that's able to speak ill of us because we already know our sin and we already have owned that. And we know that God's grace is there. That we are forgiven. That's what walking in joy is. 
That's what walking in joy means, is because we know that God is with us, that we know that God's word is with us, that we know that God is ever-present with us. So no matter what we do, we have joy. No matter what we're going through, we have joy. That even in the sin that we are committing, that there is joy because we know that God is there and that his strength is there for us to overcome that sin. That's what it means, that your strength comes from him. God wants us to understand that we could go to him. Throughout scripture, throughout the entire Bible, God wants us to understand that he is both refuge and strength. During times of trouble. Many times when we get into a place of trouble, we try to solve it on our own. We like to figure things out. We like to be like, let me fix it because, because you know what, I need to fix it before I come to Jesus. How many of us actually feel that sometimes? That we need to fix ourselves first. Where we're undeserving of God's greatness, and so we need to fix whatever we've done before we come back to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. But here's the thing, God doesn't want us to do it that way. He wants to walk with us even as we're sinning. Even as we're walking away from him, even as we choose to not be with him, God wants to be with us. That's how much he loves you. That he loves you so much that despite who, how you see yourself, despite what you're doing to yourself, despite all the choices that you've made, despite anything that is being done upon you, that God's like, I am here as your refuge. I am here as your strength, that I will rebuild whatever is torn down and I will strengthen whatever becomes weak. Isn't that incredible? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the good news that God wants us to walk in. That's what we read throughout the entire Bible that every single time man falls, God rebuilds. That when Adam and Eve sin, God's still blessed. That when the whole entire world comes into a chaos, he chooses one man and rebuilds through Noah. That he makes a promise with Abraham that he comes into a place of saying, I will give you you are my chosen people, and the stars are the number of the descendants that are going to come from you. That he rebuilds through Nehemiah, that he rebuilds ultimately at the end through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the refuge. Isn't it nice to know that there's always a place that you can find safety in? Always. Always, that there's always a place that you could turn to, that you're never alone, that you're never left behind to 
today I want to encourage all of those that feel like they were left behind. All those that feel lonely right now, that nobody knows and understands what I'm going through. Those that feel like nobody understands me. I want you to know this, that God understands you. That God has not left you. That God is there with you. And that he will strengthen you. Nehemiah is this great story of an analogy that God wants to play out throughout, throughout the world's timing. From history to present to future. Nehemiah is this analogy that allows us to know that God wants to rebuild no matter what we've done. That God wants to strengthen no matter what we've done. And he gives us the instructions to do that through his word. And that we find that joy in that place too. Nehemiah, this little obscure story, is such a great picture of our relationship to God. It is a place where you're able to come into and step into a place where you say, okay, God, let's do this together. Let's rebuild. Let's refortify. And let me find joy in that. Let his joy be your strength today. Let him be able to speak into a place where you feel lonely, where you feel like you've been abandoned. Let him speak into a place where you feel like you're not worthy. Let him speak into a place where you feel like there's nobody with you to walk this out. Let him be your strength. Let him be your refuge. Let him come into those dark places and bring it into the light. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. That you are a good God and you are a Father that loves and cares for us. And that you see every single thing that happens to us, that you know everything that's going to happen to us, and that despite all of that, you come towards us and says, let's do this together. So Father God, I just pray that as we come before you, we ask for you to send your spirit to bring that comfort, to bring that joy, to bring that peace, and to bring whatever we need for today that, Lord, you provide for us today, tomorrow, and forever. And, Lord, we ask that you provide for us today, tomorrow, and for the next day, and for the next week, and for the next month, and for the next year, and until the day you come home. Lord, we ask that you refortify our lives with you, that we can find our joy, and that joy be our strength to live every single day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, Pastor John. What a perfect song. Just to reflect and to underscore just what God does in rebuilding our lives. You know, the book of Nehemiah actually has two stories about rebuilding the walls first one is about rebuilding the physical walls of Jerusalem. The second is about rebuilding the spiritual walls of your life. And when the people heard the word and they started weeping, it's because they realized that their spiritual walls needed to be rebuilt. Yeah. 
The Bible says that there were translators there helping the people to understand the word of the Lord. 13 of them. And you know, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. He has to translate the revelation to our hearts so that we get the fact that we yeah. need our walls rebuilt. Apart from that, we won't see. It has yeah. to be the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes for the scales to fall off and to say, God, you have to be my refuge because look at my life. But until that translation goes on, until the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, we don't feel the need. But when the Holy Spirit comes, watch out because redemption is nigh. Restoration is nigh. Joy is your portion. And so God, we thank you. We thank you for the word of the Lord. We thank you for the rebuilding of the walls. We thank you for the rebuilding of our lives, oh God. That you are the great restorer. You are the great redeemer. You're the one that pours out hope upon our lives when we feel hopeless. As Pastor John said, there might be some of you that feel like no one understands. I'm completely alone. I'm completely isolated. Holy Spirit, would you come speak to each person's heart and minister to each one this week in a tangible way that you are there for them and that they would know it's not from the preacher's mouth but that you yourself reveal yourself to them we thank you now father god in the precious name of jesus that you tabernacle with us you come and sit with us you enjoy being with us and god we say we enjoy being with you we bless you now in the name of jesus amen amen